0: Welcome back to the 39th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex. And today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, all of which pertain to affirmative action. We have one from Truthout, one from The Dispatch, and one from The Nation. And the reason I decided that we should just do all affirmative action today is because it's been a hot topic over the last month or so, and the Supreme Court, though they are not going to make their decision here until June, it is a conversation that will be ever evolving and I think is worth spending a little bit of time on. And of course, we will end today with our Daily Delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now that's enough rambling for me. Let's get into our Daily Debate. Has affirmative action been a net benefit? I mean, honestly, one could argue that it has encouraged a population uh, that has been historically unable or unwilling to go to college to start seeing college as a more viable opportunity. Saying that, that may raise the question, has it served its purpose? Has it done what the people who initially wanted affirmative action set out to do by implementing this policy. And therefore, if that's the case, the real question is whether or not it's needed anymore. And we'll break this down throughout all the articles, but if you have a, a strong opinion, throw it down there in the comment section below. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about it. This first article comes from Truthout. The racism of the Supreme Court's supermajority was on full display this week. For those of you who have not really been keeping up with the court's docket recently, a case that could change the nation is being argued in the grandest court of the land. Quote, students for fair admissions, SFFA, keep that in mind, by the way, you're going to be hearing a lot of that today is asking the court to reverse grutter. SFFA, a front group for Ed Blum, who is not a student but a longtime conservative activist seeking to overturn the Voting Rights Act and affirmative action, is suing Harvard and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. SFFA says its mission is helping, quote, to restore colorblind principles to our nation's schools, colleges, and universities, end quote. So they're basically coming after affirmative action. And, you know, it's a long-practice diversity initiative in admissions, among many other criteria, and that's something that you'll hear as a counterargument today as well, at colleges across the United States. And if you notice here in the quote, they mention the term colorblind, And it's whenever we have this conversation, it gets brought up a lot. And people on the right will argue that we need to have a colorblind process. And people on the left will say you can't be colorblind because at the end of the day, your inherent biases are so deep that the second you see someone who has a different skin color than you, you have presumptions about them. And I'm not going to come down on either side of that because it's too much of a heated topic. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. In my opinion, because the liberal side says that it's a euphemism for inequality, for a white person or 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 any—actually, I take that back—a person of any race to say, well, I was raised colorblind. The left will argue that's just you hiding your biases, and the right will say, no, we actually believe that at the end of the day, we don't see race. Like, we we notice the color of your skin, but it doesn't affect how we think about you. And I think that that argument itself is so pointless because at the end of the day, we need to have a system that removes race as a part of the system at all or part of the criteria for getting into a college. And what I mean by that is not saying, oh, no, no, we need to be colorblind. What I mean by that is you filter out race altogether. You don't have a question on the college admissions saying, are you white? Are you black? Are you Hispanic? Are you Native American or indigenous peoples? Are you Hawaiian, Pacific Islander? Are you Asian? Those questions need to be removed. And there's there's a great example from what I believe was Boston College. When they're admitting people into their music program, what they do is... They make it a completely blind test. And this is easier because it is a music program. But they have the candidates behind a screen, and they simply play their music. They play their instrument and play a piece that they have selected. Maybe they've created their own piece. And then you let the music speak for itself. And that, in my opinion, is a beautiful system because you can't have a even an unconscious bias about someone's racial background if you don't see what their skin color is. If you don't see them, you can't even say there's a subconscious bias about, oh, well, I thought this one applicant was more good looking than the other. That's completely taken off the table. All those superficial aspects of a person are taken off the table and we get to look at them for what they're able to do. And This system would be the, a similar system would be taking race off of the application for most college admissions and have them show their credentials, their, the things, their achievements, the things that they have done with this time on this planet that they've been given and allow those to speak for them rather than it be about race. Now, you know, This is a tricky one because a lot of people, and we'll get into this in the later article, a lot of people argue that in order to truly tell their story, in order to give a good idea of who they are, they need to express what race they are because it is an integral part of their story. It has shaped their life experience. And I think that's a very, very interesting Comment that I've read through a lot of these different articles. It seems to be a through point. And my question is why? Why does it matter so much? And I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm saying we need to get at the reason why people perceive it as something that's very important. And maybe that's because in our society, we've become so wrapped up in our identity, how we present ourselves to the world, and the identity that we hold shapes how we view things. If someone makes an offhanded comment to you, maybe if you're raised in a community that is constantly beaten down and told that they're lesser or is constantly shown messages of being oppressed or told that they are oppressed, then maybe you take that comment out of context and you say or you try to imply that they're saying something else because you already have a worldview that is so tied to your identity and i think that's a very interesting conversation that we need to break down further or at least when talking about affirmative action you can't just and i know the courts they obviously don't have the time the ability to truly break it down about how society has changed and how perception of certain issues like this have changed but that needs to be a serious conversation we have between ourselves. We need to come across the aisle and say, why do you perceive this aspect of your identity as crucial to your existence? And I've had multiple conversations with people explaining this side to me, that their identity is extremely important to how they perceive themselves. And I think there is a convincing argument there. But we need to understand that when it comes to things like college admissions and The process of trying to get the best and brightest into schools, it should be less about their racial background and more about their merits, their abilities, and the willingness to learn. That's a huge aspect of this. You don't necessarily have to have the highest test scores, but you should have a really well-crafted essay that explains why you are willing to learn other perspectives and listen to the other side. I think that's a huge, important aspect that's being left out here. And the courts, the article here from Truthout, is really trying to say that this is the court's attempt to make college admissions race-neutral. When they come down on this issue, because... It's a conservative court, and Truthout is predicting that they're going to come down and destroy, I'd say destroy, they're going to say that colleges can no longer practice affirmative action. The conservative court will most likely label it as a race-neutral affair, and that's what Truthout is trying to call out here, but... UNC in this in these proceedings has actually argued that this is already the case that it already is race neutral. Quote: UNC considers more than forty criteria, one of which is the applicant's race, in its holistic admissions process. There is no evidence in the court record that race was the decisive factor for any applicant. End quote. And this is a, a very another very important point that UNC and Harvard have both both brought forward, which is, at the end of the day, we are looking at more things than just race. But then my question becomes, if you have 40 criteria, and race is just one of them, and race doesn't play that large of a factor, then why don't you get rid of that criteria in the first place? Obviously, it plays a large enough factor that you're willing to keep it in among the other 40 criteria. And I think that's what... Uh, SFFA is trying to get at here and I think that's how the courts will come down on it even though UNC is arguing that it's a small it has a small effect so but there is a interesting dissenting opinion here from Justice Sotomayor quote noted she noted that the states which have banned any consideration of race saw a dramatic drop in enrollment of Underrepresented minority students, particularly Black students and Native American students, but particularly Black students, end quote. And here is where the justices have really shown their hand, or at least Sotomayor has. They simply want more minorities to go to college, and this is a really noble cause. But maybe there's a better way to think about it, In, in my opinion, at least. Affirmative action has already played its part. Application rates of high school student seniors after 2006 show that the percentage of minorities applying to college is on par with white students except for native Hawaiians, which is a little bit lower. And that comes from the National Center for Education Statistics. Affirmative action has opened the door, made college seem more attainable for certain populations than that were previously discriminated against. And that's why I think there's a valid argument that it has served its purpose. But there's an article from the Dispatch that will more concisely put it. And if you notice here, we start with Truthout, a left-wing article. Then we go to the Dispatch. is going to be a right-wing article. And then we will close out with one from The Nation, which is also a left-wing article. So I'm trying to give a nice juxtaposition here. I'm trying to show all sides, even though I obviously have my own bias. I'm trying to at least give opinions from every single side so you can... Make up your own. So this one, like I said, from the dispatch. Racial discrimination is not the path to racial justice. The case in front of the Supreme Court, quote, will decide whether schools can continue to discriminate on the basis of race in college admissions, end quote. And this author takes the opposite view of our last author, saying the court should answer that question with a resounding no. Quote, To understand the reasons for this position, we have to understand a few realities about American discrimination. Slavery is rightly called America's original sin. But American racial discrimination didn't end when slavery did. And it hasn't been confined to America's black population. For centuries, American law didn't just permit and protect vicious, invidious discrimination. In some jurisdictions, it mandated it. It took 345 years, the time span from 19 from sorry, from 1619 when the African slaves arrived on the American shores until 1964 when the Civil Rights Act finally comprehensively outlawed race discrimination in the United States to end this dreadful legal inequality." End quote. And what the author fails to mention here is how the historical discrimination put portions of the population on the back foot. And, and though I do agree that the legal barriers, when it comes to legislation and government uh, intervention, the, a lot of these legal barriers were removed. It is not as simple as saying, oh, we, we passed a law. All discrimination is over. And that's what a lot of the you know, Harvard, UNC, Sotomayor, a lot of these people on the left are, are saying, these people have been put on the back foot. They were put in a position where they are a little bit further behind than some of their other populations in the United States. They are starting behind the eight ball. It's a very common phrase that you hear. And affirmative action is just a way to get them back to the same level that these other populations come from. And I... I think it's a an interesting argument. And then the question from that becomes, do we want equal opportunity or do we want equal outcome? Because do we want equality or do we want equity? Equality means everybody has the same opportunity underneath the law, which is the case currently. Or do we want equity, which means that everybody has the same outcome underneath the law? And it's a very interesting conversation. I come down on the equality side. At the end of the day, we should ensure that everybody has the same opportunity, but we cannot ensure the same outcome. Because even if people start behind the eight ball, then they wouldn't have to technically work as hard to get to the same place as someone who started at the eight ball, so to speak, because we're ensuring the same outcome. And yes, I know, I know. I literally just contradict myself with saying that these people have started behind the eight ball, they're on the back foot. But at the end of the day, if we provide these same opportunities and we allow their people's hard work, their ability to change their mindset, to change their situation, to define them rather than, oh, the government is going to ensure that we both get to the same place, I think that's going to help everybody. I think it's going to help society in the long run because it's going to breed a culture, a mentality of, we will work hard for what we want. We will not put up with inequities across the world. We will not, in America, I think it will define American culture, saying we will not sit back and let things happen to us and sit there and say, oh, well, China's beating us. We can't do anything about it. No, no, we will work harder. We will press forward. We will stay strong, and we will achieve our goals through determination and hard work. And I think that's a more healthy mindset or at least a more healthy perspective for a culture to have at the end of the day. But that's not to say we shouldn't acknowledge that some people do start behind the eight ball and they maybe need a little bit more focus, a little bit more help and a little bit more attention in order to show them that, yes, you may start behind the eight ball, but you have the same ability as anybody else if you work hard enough, if you try hard enough to get out of your certain your current situation and the reason that i kind of return to that is that the principle of affirmative action is really based on the idea that they start that certain populations start behind the eight ball when affirmative action was put into effect in admissions offices the belief was that it was going to cause more minorities to apply to colleges which is a very noble concept and at the end of the day we need to have minorities or we need to have everybody devoid of what group you're a part of. We need to have everybody in colleges and everybody in our education system because not only do we want to empower certain segments of the population, but at the end of the day, we having a different perspective allows us to think differently. If you have a homogeneous a completely single-minded organization. As a, I'm a business major, so that's why I'm relating it to an organization or a company. If you have a completely homogeneous company, they may su- succeed at first, but they'll become stuck in a rut of thinking the exact same way. And having a diverse, not just superficially diverse, but a diverse population in the way that people think Allows people to challenge one another, challenge one another, to push each other, to come up with new ideas, new ways to solve different problems. And we need that in order to survive. We can't just have a general idea and everybody thinks the same way about it. We have to have lots of different perspectives, lots of different intellectual abilities, lots of different backgrounds, people that are poor, people that are from a more wealthy background, people that grew up in suburbs, people that grew up in the country. We need to have all these diverse opinions because at the end of the day, we do not want to become stuck in the way that we think. And that's what happens currently with the bubbles. Bubbles have slowly developed where certain segments of the population drift towards one party or another or certain ideas over other ideas. And then they talk to people who think similar to them, these bubbles, and then they get stuck and entrenched in these ways of thinking and they can't see the other side. They can't even take the time to listen to the other side because it conflicts so deeply with their entrenched values and their entrenched thinking. And at the end of the day, it's just going to cause more divisiveness and we can't have that. If that happened in a corporation, in a business, it would not survive. So what do you think is going to happen if it happens in a nation? Do you think it will survive? I don't know the answer to that question. And I know I've gone really far off topic from affirmative action here, but I think affirmative action is really, at the end of the day, it's not, (laughs) when people are talking about it, they're not actually talking about affirmative action. They're actually talking about the divide between different classes and different racial groups within our country That's obvious, but even further, they're talking about the implications of our history and how we reconcile those problems, those issues, those historical wrongs, those original sins, and that's why it's so divisive, but they're just using affirmative action as a proxy, to have that conversation rather than actually address where we should go as a society and whether we believe that we should have equal outcome equal opportunity so I know I got a really far rant there but at the end of the day I don't necessarily think that it's as bad as i laid out there I don't think we are we're divided don't get me wrong and everybody has their bubble but a lot of people in Gen Z they are willing to listen maybe it's because we're a little bit more tame we don't we're not as Conflict based, we don't like to. A lot of us, at least the ones I've talked to, don't like to cause a hubbubaloo. They don't want to make anybody else angry. They want to make sure that they feel heard. And that leads a lot of this generation, even if you disagree with somebody and you don't necessarily believe everything they're saying to you, or when you're having a conversation, you guys don't agree. At the end of the day, you're willing to come to a consensus or a point where you say, okay, we're not going anywhere with this. And you can have your view and I can have mine. And I think there is hope for that because we grew up in a, a generation where everything online is detached from reality. You don't actually have to see the person across from you. And I've said this before in other podcasts. You don't have to see the person across from you when you make an insult, when you insult them and see how it affects them. So we've seen this nastiness online. And then when we come back into real life, we don't want that nastiness. We don't want that terrible, toxic relationship or those toxic interactions that you get on social media. So it's caused us to be a little bit more reserved in the way we talk and willing to listen to people and hear their opinions because we don't want it to look or resemble anything that resembles the social media that we see on a daily basis because we're so heavily integrated into it. All right, so that's enough ranting from the Dispatch article. And I know I didn't necessarily get to his main point. His main point is that the Civil Rights Act made everything equal under the law, and we shouldn't force colleges to have a process by which they consider race as a major part of their criteria. All right, our last article comes from The Nation. Affirmative action benefits all students, even Asian Americans. Hashtag defend diversity was trending online last week after a group of protesters gathered outside the Supreme Court protesting the SFFA versus UNC and Harvard College cases. Quote, while attorneys argued legalities inside the court, Students outside exchanged testimonies, frustrations, and fears. David Lewis, political action chair of Harvard's Black Students Association and a student leader of the Affirmative Action Coalition, introduced students' speeches and led chants, saying that he considered affirmative action to be integral to his education. Quote, Where I grew up, I was the only dark-skinned black student, Lewis told The Nation. Quote, when I came to a diverse environment that utilizes affirmative action at Harvard, where I was able to engage in a black community, I was allowed to trust my own voice and contribute to the educational environment. End quote. So there's something important and something sad about that statement, in my opinion. The fact that having people like you around you allows you to feel authentic is an amazing thing but it's also sad that we live in a world where you feel as though you can't be authentic unless you are surrounded by people that are like you and it's a it's a growing division in our country where certain segments of the population only feel they can voice their opinion when they're people around people that are like them and it's extremely sad that we live in this kind of society The divisions have become so strong. The bubbles have become so strong that very often people are very meek when they're giving their opinions about certain things because they don't want to offend anybody or they are afraid that certain people aren't going to hold those same views. And I myself, I am guilty of it. Sometimes I have withheld some of my comments because I'm not afraid, but I don't want to start an argument when I'm just having a simple conversation about values. And it, it's kind of sad that we live in a society like that where you can't, as he says here, you can't be authentic unless you're in an environment with similar people. You should be able to be authentic, and this is very idealistic and naive, I understand that, but you should be able to be authentic when you're around anybody. You should be able to feel comfortable around anybody, and like I said, I know that's naive, But that's the ideal, and that's what we should be striving for and aiming for at the end of the day. All right, so back to the article here. We have another quote. Quote, Students for fair admissions and its supporters allege that race consensus admissions discriminate against Asian Americans by giving preference to black, indigenous, and Hispanic students with lower test scores. Affirmative action undermines American admissions. According to Edward Blum, the creator of SFFA, a conservative strategist who is neither Asian nor a student, quote, What they want to do on Monday was hear a case that will make college admissions easier for white kids. They just used AAPI kids to get there, end quote, wrote Ellie Mastel, Justice Correspondent for the Nation earlier this month, end quote. And the author uses this last quote really as a jab at, at Blum. And obviously believes that they're being very clever here. But the real question is, why is Blum's message so wrong when put in this context? Is this not exactly what people who were in favor of affirmative action when they first put it in place were doing? For the last few decades, were they not trying to ensure that their race, the people that they associate with, that they have experiences with, that they represent, have the same opportunities as any other segment of the population? And isn't that exactly what Blum's trying to do now? So I I think that the argument falls on deaf ears When they're trying to say that he's just looking out for for white kids. I understand where they're coming from. I understand why they're trying to say this because they're just trying to point out and go and kind of find the most simple way to make people who read this dislike him saying, oh, no, he's just fighting for white kids. and He doesn't care about any other race rather than attacking it on the merits, they're just attacking him and saying that uh, he's a person who doesn't care about other races. When if you really look at his argument, he cares about the population that he's a part of, just as the people who fought for affirmative action did the exact same thing when they were trying to get affirmative action put in place in these college admissions. So, just keep that in mind. It's a very interesting, clever strategy to, you know, break down his argument, call his argument terrible without actually attacking it on the merits. But, quote, at the rally, Asian students, protesters disputed Bloom's claims. Muskan Ashad, a sophomore at Harvard, said that affirmative action is is essential to meritocracy and that race-blind admissions would have hobbled her application to Harvard. She grew up in Kansas and was heavily involved in activism in high school. Her organization was informed by her experience as a brown person in Arkansas, and her college essay was about race. Without a discussion of race, quote, my whole story would not be expressed, end quote. And this gets back to the point where I say that at the end of the day, people are so tied to certain aspects of their identity that they can't express their life story without it, which I think is a very, very sad thing. But also, as a person who has not lived in their shoes, maybe it plays a huge role in her life, and I may have to read her essay or her admission essay to truly understand where she's coming from. So I think that's a a good concluder. She brings up a great point about how Her race is so inherently tied to her life story that it needs to be a part of this process. And this is why this affirmative action question is so tricky, because you cannot remove somebody's race from them. You can try to remove it from the admissions process, but at the end of the day, that person still has a race and it may be extremely significant to them. So we'll see how all this pans out. There's definitely going to be discussion until June. And after the Supreme Court comes down on this, there will still be discussion about it because it's a hot topic. But moving on from all that doom and gloom about society being so divided and all these different terrible positions from either side that don't fully talk and articulate about some of these really crucial issues, to move on from all that stuff, We're going to go to our daily delight. And this one comes from the Dodo. Dog finds best way to entertain herself while waiting at the vet. So do you know those parents that use videos to get their kids to sit down and relax? Well, imagine you started doing that with your dog. Quote, unlike many dogs, Akira isn't afraid of the vet. The friendly Golden is happy to wait her turn at her local animal hospital, especially if it means she gets to watch some of her favorite squirrel videos on her dad's phone. End quote. Hey, and I, I know that I would do the same thing before I sit down to see my doctor. I sit there and watch some videos, calm down, relax a little bit. Quote, VCA Panther Lake Veterinary Hospital manager Mel Sice recently caught Akira calmly watching her favorite show. She couldn't believe her eyes. Quote, never in my seven years working in the vet industry as a hospital manager have I seen a dog so calm at the vet, Cease told the dodo. It was amazing, end quote. And if you want to see any of the cute photos or videos of Akira sitting there watching the squirrels, along with the link to any of the articles from today, you can find that in the description below that like and subscribe button down there also is my twitter ha- twitter handle at your daily flip i try to post or retweet or at least make some commentary daily and on monday wednesday friday i also post links directly to the podcast but with all of that said there's only one more thing to say stay safe don't die